0: because I had a a financial advisor who was very skeptical. He had won a bazillion awards. He'd done all these amazing things in the industry. His bio was like this long. And I said, we need to make it longer because it's the one place and the only place that we can actually use more words. On the homepage and and other places, we want to have headlines and subheadlines and not a lot of words. But in that bio, you can write, why? Because they're going to read it. I want to know who's going to invest my life savings. I want to know if I should go in and see this person. This is Bridging the Gap with your host, Matt Reiner.
1: Mary Beth Kosmitski. Welcome to Bridging the Gap from Fort Myers, Florida. How are you doing?
0: I am doing great. I'm doing great.
1: Good. And I, I hope I got the last name right. I botched many of names, but it's so I'm so excited to have you on the podcast. I I love you know your background. You're 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 so in deep into marketing and on the forefront especially for financial advisors and I love the name of your firm Red Zone Marketing. Now, tell me, does this did it intended to have a football, you know, kind of line to that? Is that where the name came from?
0: Yeah, it did. So, uh, short story, I was raised by a grandmother in part by a grandmother that loved football. And so my earliest memories are sitting with my grandma watching the Green Bay Packers in Wisconsin play football. And this relationship was the closest I've in my whole life. And so when I named my company Red Zone Marketing, I wanted the spirit of my grandmother and all the things that she taught me to be a part of that. And so I called it Red Zone Marketing. But the philosophy of, of Red Zone is the final 20 yards before you score on the football field. That's the red zone. It's also the most critical place on the football field. Same in business. You know, it's not about sending out direct mail on the one yard line on the other side of the field. It's about what are we doing today to get more business today, and so it's about it's really a true red zone final twenty yards marketing strategy.
1: I love that. When I when I was doing some research for the podcast, I went to the website and I was like, "Gosh, this got the spirit of sports." And you know, I, I grew up. I'm still a major sports fan. Grew up playing sports, and so I can I resonate with that. There's a lot of parallels. On marketing and sports and finishing the drill and getting over the hurdle and and all that type of stuff so we're going to go into all of that on marketing we're going to have some actionable stuff we're going to kind of help financial advisors with their marketing because that's what you're focused on and i think that that's something we have a ton of different marketing individuals on this podcast and and the reason is is because it's such an important aspect of business to help grow growing is a problem of all firms and Marketing helps with that. So that's why we solve it. But we'll dive into all of that and learn more about what you're doing and some of your insights. But before we do, I, I'm always curious. So, you know, you said the name comes from your relationship with your grandmother and watching sports, but I always am interested in the journey, right? Did the 13-year-old Mary Beth say, you know what, I'm gonna have a marketing agency that helps financial advisors? And if not, what did the 13-year-old Mary Beth hope to be when she grew up? And and then tell us the journey from there to, to now and how you got to owning your own firm and your own agency.
0: Yeah, no, I, I I'd like to say that I was so smart that, you know, I grew up wanting to do this, but that really is not the case. I went to college to be in public relations. I went and got my graduate degree to be more in marketing. I worked in marketing jobs. And then my husband gets transferred to Chicago. And I thought, well, maybe this is a good time to open up my own firm. I don't know if it's ever a good time to open up your own firm, but I opened up a marketing consulting firm. And so my fifth client happened to be a financial advisor. Like I had manufacturing firms, all sorts of different firms. But the fifth was a financial advisor, and he had a lot of success so he went from 10 million to over 200 million in under 5 years and it put him on the map but subsequently it put me on the map so he would say well i hired this marketing person and you know i didn't close any of the sales but i did put the strategy together which was basically a niche based strategy just keep working the niche and you've got some people in your niche that do this and that, that have liked and appreciated what you've done and so just work that. It was just a very simple strategy, but it, it soared for him. And so that led me into speaking at his broker-dealer conference, which then led me into speaking across the country. Other uh, wholesalers were there and said, hey, we'd like to bring you in and to you know talk to our group and all of that. And so that led me into speaking and consulting and coaching and all the things in the financial services industry. So it was really that one success story that led me down the path to where I am today and truth be told the reason I started my firm was because when my husband got transferred I was five months pregnant and five months pregnant is not a good time to look for a new corporate job in Chicago so um, I decided hey this is the this is the time to do it so I did it and I thought that I would not do it after the kids were born and I just kept doing it so
1: I love that what I mean such a awesome you know I, I think if you look at a lot of other entrepreneurs, you know, it kind of you're forced into it. Whether they lose a job and they need to figure it out, and I think that that's just uh, an impetus or the the thing that gets people moving. Because when we're comfortable, we don't want to make a change. When we we have to make a change, we 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 get uncomfortable and and we do some crazy things like start a business, and then it becomes a success like yours. So I want to go back to that advisor that you started with, the fifth client that grew their business, because. You know, I think that you mentioned. You know, I didn't close any of the business, but I kept you know, helping, guiding them, and consulting them on the marketing side. And in attracting clients is a is a challenge for all advisors, for all firms. And and there's an art in attracting clients. I, I'm curious on your perspective. You know what you've learned specifically in financial services, which is like a it's a topic in a an environment that many people don't want to go into, like in the sense of clients. Don't want to expose themselves about their their finances. They have they fear they'd be judged. They don't know enough, right? And so it's hard to attract people to trust you. How do you see or have you seen advisors do it well? And then where are those areas that advisors don't do it well that that they may be blind to that they're missing the the boat on on that side?
0: Yeah. See, I think there's a key thing at the core of what happens with financial advisors and marketing and I'll explain it this way. So there's this big disconnect. There is your clients. So a financial advisor's clients, they love you. They know how great you are. They know all the amazing things that you've done for them. You helped them buy a second home, retire early, fund the grandkids, college education, all of these amazing things, right? Your clients love you. Your prospects, on the other hand, think that you're going to try to sell them something. And so there's just it's a crazy thing, because how could you have one group of people that loves you and thinks you're great, and the other group of people has absolutely no idea what your intentions are and are skeptical from the get-go? And I don't know any other industry that's like that, but this industry is for sure like that just because of bad actors in this field over years, over the time, and you know, insurance agents that are trying to sell somebody something and um, you know, people getting bilked and things like that. But for the most part, the financial advisors are... Really amazing and what they do. And so, what we have to do as financial advisors today, you know, you're going to get referrals. You know, that's going to be the main way that you bring a new business. But we have to let our prospects know the little secret that your clients already know. We've got to give them a view of you. And, you know, when a prospect says, Well, I chose to do business with you because you have a CFP, unless they're a really unique being, that is just simply not the reason. Because the reason is, and we can give all these factual reasons while, well, you know, you've been in the business for a long time and you've got a CFP and you've done these things, but ultimately it comes down to this. I like you and I trust you, and I think you're gonna take care of my family if I'm not around. And at the end of the day, that's what it is. And so when you ask a prospect, why did you, you know, why, why are you considering talking to this person? Or you ask a client, why did you decide? They will give you an answer, they will give you the logical answer, not the intuitive answer. And we make decisions based on intuition. And so we have to, as financial advisors with our marketing, um, open the door to who we really are as people, as individuals, as a team, as our culture. And we've got to let people know about who we are. And so that's one of the big marketing things. Like if you put a LinkedIn post on LinkedIn, just uh, the market's going down. Here's why we think the market's going down. You'll get zero likes on LinkedIn, and you'll think, Well, what? You know, I, I posted this great post. If you post a, something about a birthday party you had in your office for one of your staff people, you'll get hundreds of likes and shares and all these kinds of things. And you think, Wait a minute. See, this is a relationship business. It, this isn't a, I mean, we can get all the tools that a financial advisor has someplace else. If we're, if we're smart enough to figure it out, we can find how to. Um, distribute money at uh, retirement. We can figure out. There's an app for that, right? We can figure out how to do cash flow management, budgeting, all of the things. We can figure out even how to do investing strategies pretty well. But what we can't figure out is how to control what we are doing as individuals, and we need that relationship side to help us with that. And so it's all about the relationship. It's all about who this person is, and sometimes that's the last thing somebody shares. So I, I think that when we say we get marketing wrong and I'll talk to advisors and they say, I don't do any marketing. Do you get referrals? Yes. Do the referrals convert into clients? Yes. And you're doing some marketing. You must be doing something because we know they're going to your website and you're doing something and something is working. What about how, you know, how about we take that to the next level and figure out how we can do more of that.
1: There's so much to kind of unpack there. So much good stuff in that side because, you know, there's this element that over encompasses all of that of this, you know, logic versus emotion, which you also talked about in a video on YouTube about you know, your value proposition versus what they need versus what they want, right? And with clients, like once they're a client, they're going to give you that logical answer because they don't really remember the emotional decision because that's the subconscious that's that's making that decision that they don't remember. So then they're going to go point to something logical. And then what advisors do is that they didn't take that insight and that answer and then they're like, okay, well, that's why they (laughs) chose me. So I'm going to go and market that. Like I'm a CFP, I'm a fiduciary. No prospect cares about that. They have behavioral, emotional, psychological needs and wants that need to be met. But that means that advisors have to move from being analytical to being emotional and vulnerable. How do we move them to them talking about themselves and how great they are, not in an egotistical way, but in a vulnerable, empathetic way so that the other prospects can really see who they are? How do we get there in that way?
0: Yeah, I mean, the best way to do it, we know statistically when someone comes to a financial advisor's website, they will spend approximately one minute and 30 seconds on the site, the entire site. And that's where they're going to determine whether or not they want to do business with this person in one minute and 30 seconds. But in that time, they will go to the homepage and then they will go to the bio page because they want to see who is this person that I'm going to meet with and so the bio is really the secret sauce right because that's where we're talking about who we are we've got to build our credibility and talk about awards and credibility in terms of uh, you know the different certifications we might have and where we went to college and things like that but at the end of the day it's the personal stuff that people actually remember and so we tested this out because i had a, a financial advisor who was very skeptical He had won a bazillion awards. He'd done all these amazing things in the industry. His bio was like this long. And I said, we need to make it longer because it's the one place and the only place that we can actually use more words. On the homepage and and other places, we want to have headlines and subheadlines and not a lot of words. But in that bio, you can write. Why? Because they're going to read it. I want to know who's going to invest my life savings. I want to know if I should go in and see this person. So he has this huge, long bio. At the end of the bio, we put some personal things, which he insisted would not be relevant to anyone who was going to be looking at his bio. So we put these things at the end, the bottom that are more personal. And then we did a focus group and we had people sit and read the bio and then tell us what they remembered from the bio. We, you know, they knew they were in a focus group, but they, they read the bio and then we said, okay, so what did you remember about that? And to a person, they remembered one thing first, and then lots of other things. But the one thing first was that he has a cat named Oscar. And you know, when when they when we had person after person remember this, we're thinking, why are they remembering the cat when this guy won like all of these awards? He's top of the top, but this cat named Oscar, because we might have a dog, or we might have kids also, or we might have whatever it is, and we're connecting on the personal side because I can't connect with you. I don't have any similarities to a CFP or a CPA or that you have some financial, you know, certification with these letters behind your name. I don't really know what that is. But what I'm ultimately looking for is somebody that I think I can relate to. And anybody that has a cat named Oscar, I think I could probably relate to them. I mean, who knows the thought process behind it because we didn't get into any psychological analysis. The only thing we did is, what do you remember? And they remembered that. And we've done this before in other situations where we've written a bio out for someone and at the bottom of the bio we can include all this personal stuff that the advisor does not want to include because that's not relevant. Yeah. Well, it is really relevant because people will come in the office and say, Oh my gosh, I didn't know that you did this or that you you liked going to auto shows or you you know, we're looking for that like him I think I can trust him I think I should invest my money with him and it's just not as simple as saying that you've got all these credentials and so that's how we we try and we start to bridge that gap that is that is obviously there
1: we all we argue in this industry that we can't bring technology in because it depersonalizes this business and this is a relationship business yet we don't want to expose much about ourselves to build a relationship and a relationship has two people in it that need to be truthful and honest and open about them each other and and nobody that's coming in because they're not in the industry can relate to what uh, having a cfa means that doesn't matter to them they can relate to having two kids and you know as as a you know to build on and to pile on what you're saying so we do webinars for our clients on a quarterly basis each of the advisors does and i start all of mine out with a picture of my kids. And that's the one thing that everybody points to. Whenever they come in, they call me, they email me. They're like, gosh, your kids are looking great. And I always tell them a little bit about what they're doing. And everybody can hinge on that. People are looking for something they can relate to that brings them back to you. And, and the other example that I will give so advisors can kind of see how this works in their world is, you know, think about athletes. Like we put athletes on a pedestal that they're like these like great people because we can't relate. Like I can't relate to Tiger Woods. Like he's, extremely talented and has more money than I think I'll ever have in my my life right and I can't relate to him but if you go and meet him he's just a human being you know he wakes up in the morning just like us yes, we do he eats breakfast he probably eats a similar breakfast to you maybe cereal I don't know maybe a, a muffin like he's just a human being they go and have dinner they like to have drinks they like to joke like they are just normal people, but we, we the athletes that we love are the ones that expose that in them. The athletes that we don't know about that don't expose that are the ones we don't really cling to. And so... We can learn something from them on that side. And you know, go into an article that you wrote about. I think that another avenue to do that, like you said, is your bio on your website, but is also on LinkedIn. And you had this great article about like the seven steps to make your LinkedIn profile. And I I almost want to go through all steps, but we may not have time for that. But, you know, one of them is (laughs) in your in your bio. I think you mentioned it was number four, spice up the summary or spice up the summary of the uh, uh, on your LinkedIn Tell me why that's so important and and how LinkedIn can be yet another avenue to help people understand who you are beyond what you do professionally.
0: Right. And let me just take a step before that, because what you do professionally is something that, number one, immediately, they don't know what a financial advisor is maybe, but they just know it's like, "Mm." you know, they're, they're not sure about that, right? And so we've got that to to work with right off the bat. And the other side of it is, is that, well, what if you're so good at doing this and you work with all this people with all with, with all this money and you're going to judge me because I have made some financial mistakes? Well, frankly, everyone has made financial mistakes. And so, you know, it's, it's like, how do we, how do we put that barrier down that I'm not who you think I am and I'm not going to judge you. And the only way we can do that is by showing, I mean, we can say it, but we can also Show them some of the things about us, and so the summary or the about section in LinkedIn is your narrative. We like to, to put the why why do you do what you do, as opposed to listing out your bio again and you know, you where you went to school, and all of those things are already in LinkedIn. So, what you're going to list there is what's your why? Why do you do this? Why have you been in this business for this many years? Because a lot of advisors think a differentiator as well, I've been 20 years in this business. Well, 20 years in the business is not a differentiator, but maybe, I, and I've been in the business for 20 years of, of marketing and financial services, and it just makes you sound like you're old. I mean, it, it, it's not really like, oh, wow, really? 20 years? It's 20 years. Why? Why would you be in this business for 20 years? What is it about this business? What is it about serving clients that really, that, that gets you out of bed in the morning? You know, talking a little bit more about the softer side of why you do what you do, the difference that you can make. And yes, you can write that in compliance terms where they would okay it, but you know, it's, it's telling the story of you as a financial advisor.
1: And you also alluded to it in, I think it was bullet six on experience. And I loved this point. What I took away from reading that section of it was less on the experience of what you did and more on the positive change you made while there too often we go and we're like, oh, I did this. But like, what change did you do? And there's a there there there's a way you can there's there's a spectrum, right with as with everything, you can go and just say, I worked at XYZ. And this is what I did. And then you can go on the other spectrum, and you can make it like overly too much like I made I did all this, but you know, you've got to find that middle ground where it's a balance. But the more on the Impact and the change you made. What type of change did you make? That's something that people can relate to, whether they're in the profession or not. Tell me more about that that aspect of it.
0: Yeah, I'll give you an example. Like, you know, an advisor might say, "Well, I've been in the business for twenty years or thirty years," which doesn't mean anything. But if you say, "I've been in the business for thirty years," and in thirty years, I have gone through. 10 major downturns of the market with my clients. There's one thing that I know what to do because I've got a lot of experience doing it and that's helping to protect client assets, helping to protect client investments. And so that's not just saying I've been in this business for a certain period of time. It's saying, well, what happened? What's so good about you being in this business? Listen, I, I've seen what happens when the market goes down. I know what to do. And so that's the part that I think is is it's not the, the time the toiling it's more of the what happened when you did that what have you learned what have you learned that's going to be beneficial to me and i always use the example like i've i've written a whole bunch of books so i've written nine books big deal nobody cares until you tell them what's in those books that might be a reason for them to read them or why it why it's a it might be helpful just writing books is whatever And it's the same thing with financial services. We talk about things that are more feature-oriented, not benefit-oriented. We've got to actually tell them the benefit because they don't know what it is. Mm -hmm. I mean, we can think, well, they know. If I've been in the business for 20 years, I must know something about this. Maybe not. We don't know what they're going to think. They might think you're getting ready to retire. You know, who knows? Yeah.
1: Such an interesting point, and we'll put the link to that LinkedIn article because there's so much gold in there about putting in your your highlighted post and your cover image and all that type of stuff. So we'll put the link in the notes here. But you know, the the, the point that you make there about like writing nine books I, that's phenomenal. Like I know what that means because I've written some books as well. Like I get it, but a lot of people can't relate to that. They don't know that what that does, right? We have to think about the counter side of it, being on the other side. It's like, wow, this person is so far out of my league that I don't even want to talk to them because, like, I feel like I'll be judged. Like, I can't even meet their expectations, or, or they're going to be so expensive because, like, they're so popular because they wrote nine best-selling books. Like, there is a, a another side of it, but too often advisors just think that they're going to interpret it the way that they intended and that's just not reality. And and so softening that and understanding what is in it for them is is there. One thing I want to go back to, though, that you were talking about is is regarding this idea of prospects think you will sell them something. That is a negative thing that's happened in our industry from day one. How are we doing on overcoming that? And what can we do? Uh, I know that we talked about being vulnerable and everything of that nature. But like, That is like instilled in prospects. They think that financial advisors are going to lie, steal, and cheat, and it's false because there's tons more people that aren't than there are than the bad the bad apples. How do we overcome that as an industry to get that out of this whole stigma?
0: I don't think as an industry we will ever recover from that. But individuals have their own responsibility to tell their story so that they don't fit into that category that these others are in. And it's, you know, sometimes it's using keywords and things like that. What are the things that we think of? You're going to try to sell me something. You're going to, you know, not be transparent. You're going to, um, you know, swindle me somehow. So what do we say that gets them to think otherwise? And so we have to use words like we are transparent. We are objective. We are never going to sell you anything. It's always going to be based on what's in your best interest. And you can say that till you're blue in the face, but what they're really making a decision on is it's almost you saying it. It's almost you saying it. And I'll give you an example of that. So let's say that a financial advisor is putting on a seminar, like in the old days when financial advisors used to do those dinner seminars, and they would send invitations to everybody and people would come and they would say, I don't want to do business with this person, but I do want the chicken dinner. So they sit in the back of the room and they nicely eat the chicken dinner and they're listening to the presentation. And a lot of these guys were, you know, selling annuities and things like that. But they were really good at presenting. And so you're sitting in the back of the room and you go, I don't know, I kind of like the guy. Like, maybe I will meet with him. You know, and that's exactly what happened. And that was the genius of those seminars is people came for a completely different reason than what happened in the end, which is a lot of them decided to go in and meet with this particular financial advisor, and it's the same thing when we use video, because I can see you saying something, and I, I kind of like you, you know, and and that's what we have to get across is that I'm just a regular person, and so people are like, well, I'm not good on video. You don't need to be good on video. You just need to be as good as you ever are going to be, um, just talking about who you are. And those kinds of things can eliminate some of that. It, it's, it's letting them know this little secret that your clients already know. And I'll ask advisors, well, how long does it take before the client really realizes who you are? Well, you know, maybe after we've done business for a while, I'm like, hmm, we got to do that quicker. We got to let them in a lot quicker than that because we can't wait for that. Because number one, the best time to refer Um, The best time to get referrals is in the earliest part of that client relationship because they've got something new to talk about and they'll tell their friends and they'll talk about it. They're excited about it. It's something new. And we've got to give them the opportunity to go and talk about it. And so uh, we don't want to wait. We don't want to have them wait to realize how great we really are. We want to let them in on the little secret early, early and often and before they ever come in the office.
1: The, the video concern is always a, is an interesting one because I'm like, well, you're really good at talking to people in person and video. what just that you have a camera in between you that I don't that doesn't that shouldn't change. You should still just talk like you do in person with them and you should be able to change that way. But then also, I, I think it's also we have to realize that we don't have any really great relationships with others. If we put ourselves looking at our relationships we don't have any really great relationships with people that don't expose something about themselves. It's not, we don't, we don't feel like we want to connect with them, like friends, relative, whatever. If they don't expose stuff to us, we don't want to be with them. And so, but then when we're on our professional lives, we don't want to expose anything about us, but we ask our clients to expose everything about them. And then we wonder why our relationships with our clients are so volatile with the market. It's because it's just the, the the thesis of a relationship isn't there, like the foundation isn't there. And so we have to get over that. And you y'all at, at Red Zone do some, you know, marketing research. And, and you know, now we have more data than ever. We have more resources to understand the people that we're talking to and allow us to be authentic with a segment of population and be really close and understand them prior to getting into those conversations. How have you seen marketing research? How are firms using it right from that standpoint? And I don't know if enough firms know the opportunity that's out there with marketing research. So, so just tell us a little bit more about that and how firms are using marketing research.
0: Yeah, the way that we've used marketing research is uh, with with firms is number one, we use it with individual financial advisors to identify we've got some questions that we will ask uh, clients and find out real answers. So for instance, you know, what's, the, what's the biggest result or outcome that you've received as a result of working with us? So it's, it's not just, why did you decide to do business with us? Because um, he had a CFP. And why do you enjoy working there? Oh, he's, really, he's been really great for us. I mean, we want to get specific. So asking very specific pointed questions so we can get some good answers out of it. But one of the things that financial advisors always want to know and the way to use some more generalized research is we do research for asset managers. In a lot of cases, they'll commission us to do some research. And the research is what's happening in a, in a financial services practice. What's working in marketing? What's not working? Um, are they in the office? Are they not in the office? Uh, how are they structuring a portfolio? And we do all of this research for asset managers. And then we share the research. And there's just so much gold in there for doing what advisors want to know anyways, which what's really working for somebody else? Is social media really working? Is anyone actually making any money from that? And surveys like this. So I would become a student of all the surveys, you know, Investment News does surveys. Everyone does some level of surveys or a lot of of the publications. And then some of the asset managers do a lot of surveys and there's just gold information in there for figuring out what's really working. And why do the asset managers do it? Because they find out, number one, what their financial advisors are really doing, which helps their wholesalers and helps them figure out how people are structuring portfolios and doing different things. But from a marketing standpoint, they can also go in and help financial advisors with their marketing. And that's one thing that financial advisors are always asking for. Tell me what's working someplace else. Well, we've got the gold on that. We know what's actually working. But doing research with your clients I've seen a lot of research where you ask your clients a million different questions and there's these long surveys and then you get these surveys back and no one knows what to do with the data. So my advice is, and the way we like to do surveys is ask a few questions that we can completely analyze and use the information right away. How are we going to use it? We figure that out before we ask the question. So asking the question, how do you like our service? Not think it's a good question to ask and I'm actually doing a a blog on that really soon. But do you, you know, do you like the service we're providing? Well, that gives us some good information, but it doesn't really, it, that's, a, that's previous information. How did we do in the past? Well, we did really good with service or we didn't go, do good with service. And we need to know some of those things about our practice, uh, but we've got to be ready to make changes when we do any kind of research.
1: You said something there about, you know, we know what works and what doesn't. And and also, I love the idea of using fewer questions and also having an understanding of what you want out of it before you ask the questions. Too many people ask questions and then try to figure out what to take from that. It's just like having all this data and be like, well, what does it mean? Like, well, what, did, what were you hoping to accomplish from it at the beginning? But I'm curious. I'm going to ask the golden, like just the silver bullet question. Like we talked about referrals are like a, are our main source of new business for firms what else is working? What channel works the best? LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, you know, direct mails, what channel works best? Give us the answer that makes everybody grow to a billion right there.
0: (laughs) Well, I can tell you that number one um, has always been pre-COVID, during COVID, now post-COVID. You know, we thought maybe this would change a little bit, But the number one way that firms bring in, and we looked at the size of practices. Is it a big practice, a small practice, a senior, you know, more practices have been around for a long time, or someone who's just starting in the business? Across the board, it's referrals without asking, without asking. That's number one. Number two is referrals because you are asking and with COIs. So you're asking either your clients or you're asking your COIs, other professionals. That's the second way. And that was consistent pre-COVID, during COVID, post-COVID. It's just been the same. And then the final, or not the final way, there's lots of ways. Or I think we we categorized 80 different ways of bringing in new business. The third way was email marketing. And you go, really? But that was pretty consistent. During, during COVID, it shifted a little bit. But email marketing has always been up towards the top when we've been doing this survey. And what does that really mean? So it means keeping in touch with your prospects and your clients via email. And we go, Oh my gosh, people get hundreds of emails, but it's still working more than some of the other things. Um, The fourth thing is LinkedIn. So, and we just recently did this in February of 2023. So that's our most recent study that we did comprehensive study and LinkedIn was, was number four. And then after that, it it kind of parses out, and we can look at again what what are the biggest you know growth uh, firms doing, and what are how are they bringing in new business, and that's how it is. And so mm. if somebody says I really need to grow my practice, but I you know I, I I really don't get any referrals, well that's the first place to start because we've got to figure out why you don't get referrals. Or in some cases, the the client base is just old or it's just, you know, it's not going to, but there's other strategies within that client base, you know, the next generation and things like that. But most 80% are bringing in almost all their business from referrals without asking, which means that, you know, my good friend, Bill Cates, who talks about, you know, referrals all the time, you know, it's great. And you can actually really amp up your business if you do it, but the referrals, Uh, unsolicited referrals is the number one way. And so we look at that and go, well, it's not the act of referring standalone because everybody gets referrals for the most part. It's converting the referrals. And that's where the marketing comes in because you know, and it's nine out of 10 people statistically that have a million dollars or more, nine out of 10 will go to your website before ever calling you, ever emailing you, ever doing anything. And is the money goes up, the the numbers go up. But they're going to look at you online because we can't buy a refrigerator anymore without Googling it. So you know, if I'm going to invest my life savings with somebody, I think I'm just going to turn to my computer and do a little search. And of course, we're going to do that. So what they see on that website makes them say either, yep, I'm going to move forward or mm, I don't know. And by the way, when people are looking, so they've been referred, they're looking for, uh, the financial advisor online, they're looking for reasons, and this isn't a hundred percent of the time, but they're looking for reasons not to do this, because changing financial advisors is really difficult. It's like changing banks. Are you kidding me? It is so. I we just recent. Well, it's been a year now since we changed banks, and I'm still dealing with the with the fallout of oh, I forgot I had that one thing set up automatically to come out. I mean, but it's the same thing with financial advisors, because you got to change all this paperwork. And I got to talk about everything I've done in my financial life with somebody that I don't really know. And and then I got to tell my old financial advisor why I'm leaving him. And I, I it just I don't want to do it. I, I know I should do it, but I don't want to do it. And that's why most financial advisors see new clients when they're in a transition. That is a critical situation. My husband just passed away. Uh, I've just been laid off. I I have a health concern, whatever it is. All of a sudden, they go in to see a financial advisor because it's an emergency. What if people could see financial advisors before it became an emergency because they wanted to do it as opposed to the other way around?
1: I I think that that's so true in a lot of the work that you do if you want to keep clients when they have those transition happens before the transition, not at that transition, which is also very key. You know, I, I, I want to be cognizant of time, but uh, I, I want to ask one thing on, on that list that you mentioned, right? Referrals without asking, referrals asking, but then email marketing. Because I, I was talking with an advisor about this who's looking to start setting up email marketing. And I'm curious on what makes good email marketing. Like, am I just like sending a blog? Am I doing it monthly? Like, who who does it well and what makes their email marketing so good.
0: So there's different kinds of email marketing. So you might email prospects and you know you're putting them into a funnel and you you have a prospect that's come to your website and signed up for your email newsletter list or, or they've been referred to you and so you put them on your list and you're trying to sort of nurture them to decide that they want to do business with you. So there's a prospect Channel. There's also, you know, just doing a general email newsletter to everyone that that you have on your list, your clients, your prospects, your COIs, you just send an email to them. But there's one thing that makes email work. And it's the same thing that makes social media work. And it is really very simple, but it has to be interesting to the person who's reading it. So the general market update for most people is not interesting. Um now it depends you might have a client base that love to get a market update because that's what that's where they thrive but a lot of financial advisors get clients because they don't want to pay attention to everything going on in the market they don't want to know all that stuff they expect somebody else to help them with that and so the market updates as a for instance if you post something like that online or you know, on your social media, or you're posting retirement 101, and you're sending it out in an email, and you're using some of the stock things that some of the firms will prepare, um, you know, whether it works or not right away, you get immediate feedback with email, because you can see who opened it, who clicked on anything, social media, you post it, nobody clicks, guess what, that's because they're not interested. And so we have to constantly work. um, It's content marketing, but we have to have to constantly work. To pick topics that may be interesting, and that is the most difficult part about email marketing and about other things, because it's hard to be interesting to a large group of people. Now, you're not going to be interesting to everyone, but there are things that are more interesting than other things.
1: So, yeah, and it's not necessarily what you're interested in; it's in it's what others are interested in, which you have to be kind of. I think advisors are right. Well, wow, this was so interesting to me. It's like, well not to your clients, like you've got to really understand your clients. And I think that to your point, like to put like a bow on all of this, is that that's where market research can really help. Like what are your clients interested in? And and, and ask the right questions to understand that. And then that can drive your content strategy, which then will help with the content strategy and your referral strategy and everything else. And it all works together. And then when people go to your website and all that, it all just flows together. So we could, I mean, we could talk for a long time here, Mary Beth, you, you're just a, a wealth of knowledge and, and I'm super appreciative of you spending time with us. Before I let you go, I like to ask my two questions that I ask all guests. And, you know, the first one is I'm a, I'm a lifelong learner. I love to learn. I love to learn by reading. I love to learn from other smart people like yourself. So I always like to ask, what's one of those books out there that you think everybody should read if they haven't or reread if they have that you think is so impactful?
0: Yeah. I, I love Smart Cuts. Smart Cuts. Have you ever read it?
1: No. That sounds awesome. Yeah, I love it. S-
0: smart Cuts is such a great book. It's a book that talks about shortcuts to success. And who doesn't want that, right? Uh, but it's really logical in how they talk through and give lots of examples of shortcuts to success. So Smart Cuts is, is my favorite. And I've actually used it not necessarily in my marketing consulting firm, but I've used it in the work that I do as a professor. I I became a professor late in life. I didn't want to be at the bottom of the barrel. I use smart cuts. So that's a a great book.
1: I love that. I'm going to go check that one out. Shane Snow is the author. Shane's now. Okay. Smart cuts. That's awesome. And the last question I always like to ask, you know, we talked about a ton here, right? And a lot of it's actionable, but you know, in an ADD world, it's hard sometimes to remember everything. So what is one piece of actionable advice from our conversation here today that you hope everybody takes away and then that they can go implement tomorrow and be better?
0: Yeah, I would say think about closing that disconnect and sharing more about who you are As an individual that your clients already know about, let let the little secret out of how great you are uh, by offering more about yourself.
1: I love that. Mary Beth, you are amazing. Thank you so much. And I know that other people are going to want to get in touch with you, continue to follow you, maybe work with you. So what's the best way for people to engage with you in in Red Zone?
0: Yes, you can very simple go to redzonemarketing.com, redzonemarketing.com
1: and I will vouch for that website I went and it's amazing. So much value on that website. So go check it out. Mary Beth, you are gracious. Thank you so much and keep doing the good work that you're doing to help advisors grow. And uh, thanks for spending time with us here on Bridging the Gap.
0: Thank you. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of Bridging the Gap. Don't forget to give us a rating and let us know what you think.